0: Father, we thank you for this time together. We ask once again that you would help us in our weakness, that you would be with us to reveal yourself in Christ. We pray that we would have ears to hear this morning what you spoke through Peter thousands of years ago, hundreds of years ago, 2,000 years ago, (laughs) in the first foray of the church into spreading the gospel. It's still going on and we want to be a part of it, but we need hearts that are set right to do it well, to be faithful to the calling, to be faithful to the message of Christ for the nations. We pray that you would do some more of that this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, Uh, we are in Acts 3. starting verse 11 through 26 we're going to be talking about the second major sermon by Peter Uh, last time we talked about the healing of the lame beggar Uh, do you remember where we left that Where, where did what happened at the very end they were at the temple. The, uh, Peter uh, fixed his gaze on the lame beggar at the gate. He and John go over to him. Uh, he, he's expecting something. The beggar is expecting something. And Peter uh, says, silver and gold, I have none, but such as I have, I give thee. In the old King James <laughs> says it that way. So he grabs his hand, pulls him up, and the guy's walking, leaping, praising God, and he goes into the gate for the first time, right? That's the scene. This guy who'd been there, lame since birth, in now the temple complex. And so they're they're standing there. This guy's praising God, and and it says in verse 11, he's clinging to Peter and John, clinging to them. And people are rushing over what's going on. We've seen this guy for years and years and years. What's going on? And they're coming into what's called Solomon's portico, the porch of Solomon, through the courtyard of the Gentiles, and the crowd is gathering. Okay? So let's look at verse 11. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? And why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy, holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. In whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken, from Samuel and those who came after him, also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. And we'll stop there. So you have the lame beggar clinging to Peter and John praising God. The healing of the lame beggar brings a crowd. One of the things that we kind of touched on last time, and I want to I think, explore a little bit more. The healing of the lame beggar was not simply a parlor trick to draw a crowd. Uh, you'll see this again and again in Acts where miracles happen and crowds come and they begin to preach. That's not the sole reason for miracles. Mm-mm. Yes, they preached the word when crowds came together, but they, but they wanted this guy to walk because they love the guy. They see him, they have compassion on him, Christ moves through them, and the guy gets up and walks. It's not simply, this is cool, we can, we can do this to draw a crowd. There is love for the person. And I think many times we try to formulate this thing of Healing then preached word healing and it's logical Robotic kind of thing. That's not what's going on. What's going on is they're loving people Because Christ loves people when he healed he didn't heal. Hey, this is a guy who looks pretty extreme. He draw a great crowd That's not what's going on. He has compassion on people and, and heals them. That's what they're doing If we divorce the preaching and teaching of the gospel from the love of people, then, then the apostles are just peddlers of new ideas. That's not what's going on. God in heaven condescended and reached down to make Himself known out of love for His people. His glory is good for His people because we become, we reflect what we worship. Loving God Causes us to reflect what we worship. He reaches down in love to his people. To reflect God is to reflect an other's focused motive. God's other's focused involves him promoting himself because that's the good of the creatures. We don't reflect him that way. If I promote myself, that's not for the good of others, I'm a creature. He's the creator, right? So I don't want us to get the idea, and it's a subtle one, that Peter says, I'm going to heal it, so everybody looks at us this way and comes to the... That's not what's going on. All right. I, I bring it out too because the love for this beggar overflowed to a love for the gathering crowd. As they come in, he's burdened for his countrymen. Paul would say it this way, and I know it's we use Romans 9 as a hammer for the sovereignty of God. That whole passage begins with, I wish I were cut off for the sake of my countrymen. That's not logic. That's not robotic. That's emotional gush for the love of the people. In the context of the sovereignty of God, Paul goes there. And that's where Peter is here. As the people are coming in, he's loving them. This is not an exercise in logic. It's not an I told you so moment. This is love for the people. This was not a church growth marketing so that they could increase their salaries by having more people in the local body. This was love for people. And I want you to watch for that in this sermon. I think we, we, we hear these sermons... And we, I think, many times inject our own personalities in them. You crucified the Lord of I mean, that we we you know, we want to pound. I don't think that's what's going on here. And you hear it in the language that he uses. Um, look at how he begins the sermon. What does he say? He says, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? Why is he starting this way? Where is his immediate focus going to go? Off of them, Off of them and onto whom? On Onto Jesus immediately. It's onto Jesus. How does how does Peter how does Peter describe God here? What is the language he uses? Of the patriarchs. In the context of the patriarchs, and what does he say? The God of Abraham,
1: Isaac, and Jacob.
0: Does that sound familiar to you? We see that again and again in the Old Testament. Who else used that terminology? Do you recall? The prophets, the prophets did. Anything in red? Jesus. Always a good answer in Sunday school. <laughs> Jesus said that terminology to make a point didn't he he's, he used that language with the pharisees or the sadducees because they didn't believe in the resurrection they were sadducees they they didn't believe in the, resurre- the resurrection so <laughs> i like to share it with the next generation um, he used that language to make a point that god is not god of the dead he's god of the living right He's the, he is the God of Abraham. He is the God of Isaac. He is the God of Jacob. And many of the smart guys say Peter's going to that because he's about to make an argument for the resurrection. So he's using the language of God of the living like Jesus did. Where would he learn that? He watched Jesus. They're reflecting, again, the language of Christ. He's the God of the living. And the greatest display of that is that he glorified his servant Jesus. When he says glorify, what is he talking about? What is he talking about? could be referring to um, his baptism and just setting him uh, in the presence of all the other believers above, um, like, Equating him with himself. Okay. Where is he now?
1: Lifted up. At the right hand.
0: He's lifted up at the right hand. And chapter 1 starts with what? What happened? Is with, with the ascension. He's glorified in the presence of, of everyone to the right hand of God the Father. They see it, right? He is now on a throne king. He's glorified. And yet, he uses this language, servant. Why not king? Why would he use the language servant? And it's a rare term used of Jesus. I mean, the the ideas are there over and over again, but it's a rare title here that, that Peter uses, his servant. What do you think he's pulling from? Just off his head? So, you have something in mind. What's that? Isaiah. Isaiah, yes. Isaiah. There's a lot of that language of the Suffering Servant Psalms in Isaiah. Suffering Servant Psalms, say that 10 times. It's in Isaiah. Uh, you see the, the, the language of, uh, of, that, of that passage here. The, the use of servant highlights God's choosing of Christ, sending Christ. And exalting Christ. So God glor I mean, notice the, notice the way he's progressing. God glorifies Christ. What did the Jerusalem Jews do?
1: Crucify him.
0: They crucify him. But they did... What, is, what language does Peter use? Delivered over. Denied. Denied. Delivered over. There's an active denial... There is a uh, verbal denial. Let his blood be upon us and on our children. They denied him, and and ironically, being complicit in his murder or being, uh, I guess, capitulating to his murder. Uh, wh- who do they choose instead? A murderer. They preferred a murderer prefer murder over the author of life. And and Peter brings out the point that even the gentile ruler over them wanted to release Jesus like 3 times, mm-hmm. right? And every time they demanded his death. <coughs> Pilate is a witness to the guilt of the Jerusalem Jews. He's a witness to that. What was God's response to the murder of Jesus by the Jerusalem Jews? What is his response? What did he do with Christ after they killed him? He destroyed the temple. That's that's later, but yes, ultimately we'll get to that. He glorified, he glorified him. His response to their to their rejection was to raise him up, right? Mm-hmm. To resurrect, to to glory, to ascend, raise him, and then really raise him, right? Is the, is what we've been saying. Um, Pleased him. And it so, pleased him to do so. Yeah.
1: And that's the language you see in, um,
0: in Isaiah. Yeah, well, yeah.
1: Ephesians and John.
0: How do they establish the resurrection?
1: Witnesses.
0: They're witnesses. They're doing what Jesus said they would do. You will be my witnesses. You'll testify that I am I'm raised. So. Peter establishes the divine exaltation of Christ and he answers the question that was raging in verse 12 in verse 16. We didn't do this. This man was healed by what? Faith in the
1: name.
0: Faith in the name. Whose faith? The faith of the apostles? The faith of the man? Does he say? Ah, could it be? Could it be that it's left a little ambiguous just for that point? That it's faith in Christ and the person doing it really not that important for the healing? Do we have an example here or do we have a, a situation here where the the man standing before them was healed visibly and he's still clinging to them in a immature baby faith kind of thing going on that's growing as he's continuing to depend upon them. There's an idea here that it's both. Both the faith of Peter to step in compassion to this man and the faith of the man to stand up whenever he feels the you know, stuff going on and he says, I'll trust Jesus and he's still trusting, he's praising God. This is a... What little faith he had the miracle had led him to this point of clinging to the apostles. The greater miracle here is not that the guy's walking. The greater miracle is that he has faith in the name of Christ. That's the greater miracle. So Peter's pointing that out. The greater miracle of faith in the name. All right. How does Peter describe the actions of the crowd? What, is, what language is he using here? They were ignorant. You acted in ignorance. Now, we often view ignorance as a harsh term. Uh, only because we're ignorant. Only because we're ignorant. Don't be so harsh. Uh, when we studied through Leviticus, do you remember a difference made between... Intentional sins and sins in ignorance? Mm
1: Yes.
0: What was the difference? Do you recall? Okay. Was there a sacrifice for things done intentionally? Let's take murder, for example. Killing of a man. Just pulling that out of the air. If it was an intentional murder, what happened? What happened to the person that was caught doing it? Wasn't he
1: killed?
0: Killed? Which meant that he was executed for the murder, right? There was no refuge. Mm-hmm. What about a man who accidentally killed someone who had no history of... To
1: to he could flee.
0: A safe harbor. He had a, a safe space. The city of refuge was established, cities of refuge all over, and they yeah. could stay there... They, had a trial of
1: sorts, right? they
0: they had a trial, or he could run to a city uh, that that was he could be safe, so that the guy, the Avenger of Blood, it talks about the family member, the Hatfields wouldn't kill a McCoy who's running to the uh, the city of refuge, and he could stay there as long as the high priest lived, and you prayed for long life for that guy. <laughs> That was the di- an example of the difference between what was intentional and what was in ignorance <laughs> or negligent or accidental, not with intent. Why does he bring that out? They intentionally killed Christ. Did they? What does he say?
1: Well, the next thing he says is that God foretold by the prophets that
0: this would happen, and mm-hmm. then he says the language. Like, it, he fulfilled it. So he's saying, he's in a sense telling them that God
1: uh, ordained that they would right. have the inactions or actions that they did.
0: Right. So he's giving them a whole lot to think about. They intentionally killed this man, they, Jesus, mm-hmm. but they did it in, in, of ignorance. in ignorance of his, of his uh, deity. Yeah. If you have a man claiming to be God, and he's not God, what does the law tell you to do?
1: Execute him.
0: Execute him. That's blasphemy, right? That's, that's in Leviticus as well. We saw that. Here, they are ignorant of mitigating circumstances to the claim that I'm God. He actually is, right? <laughs> the, that's the ignorance. Is Peter just trying to be nice and let's do a PC thing, let's water down the gospel here and, and make them feel a little bit better about themselves? That's very conciliatory, this language. He did it in ignorance, brothers. And he says, brothers. Mm-hmm. Not you, worms. Brothers. But
1: he doesn't just leave it there. He says, you need to do something before that.
0: That's true. But why wouldn't he say, you're doomed? His love for them. His love for them. Is he pulling it out of thin air? No. Levitical law. Okay, it's Levitical law, but why can he go there? Where is he getting the idea of they did it in ignorance? From Christ. From Christ. From the On the cross said what? They, they, don't know. Know what they, do. they don't know what they're doing. And prayed for their forgiveness, mm. which <laughs> Peter is now pushing them to, calling them to, in the in the name of Christ, commanding them to repent. This is what he prayed for from the cross, brothers. You did this in ignorance. So repent. It's yeah.
1: Like he's telling them, you know, you did wrong. You watch like what he's saying.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's not mincing words that what they did, they're guilty of what they're right. doing. But what he's doing is he's calling. He, he's not just hammering them. Right. This is wrong, and this, and because but you did it. Some of them, yes.
1: <laughs>
0: Depends on the circumstances. Um, yes, he describes their actions as acting in ignorant. It's a gentle way of describing it. It's a little different than the first sermon. Right. <laughs> I mean, he hammered him in the first one. This one's gentle, a lot more gentle. And I don't think he's gone soft on the message. 1 Corinthians 2.8, Paul says, None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. That's That's a gracious assessment of what was going on in the heart. Paul says, I acted in ignorance when I was killing Christians. I did it out of a zeal for my faith, but I was acting in ignorance. What is... Peter offering to these Jews and their understanding of the law. What's he offering to them? If you act in ignorance, what can you do? We to
1: the harbor, Sac- sacrifice and be reconciled.
0: Sacrifice and be reconciled. Safe harbor is an option for there too, but in the murder context, yeah, I know. But 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 generally speaking, there's an atoning sacrifice. And he's pointing to that, to these guys. There's an atoning sacrifice for you. You acted in ignorance. Christ proclaimed it from the cross. You acted in ignorance. Um, Here's the chance, basically. Peter has now given them a full understanding of who Jesus is and what he has done. Rejection now... Rejection now would be conscious and intentional. Here's your chance. Um, all right. So who was responsible for the death of Jesus, according to Peter? What does he say?
1: You and your rulers.
0: You and your rulers. So we've got the Jews in Jerusalem.
1: God spoke through the prophets.
0: Were the Gentiles? No. Well, in the first sermon, he said, "lawless men." Right? He doesn't really bring that out here. He brings in Pilate as being kind of the—I don't know—the the chamberlain of the situation. But um, he brings out Pilate's complicitness in their bloodlust. So there's a Gentile responsibility. There's a Jew responsibility. What ultimately does he does he lay? <laughs> Who ultimately does he say is responsible for the death of Jesus? Verse 18. Which says? What God
1: foretold, he thus fulfilled.
0: What God foretold, he thus fulfilled. Now, where is he getting that? Again, this is rewriting everything. These guys just coming up with this stuff off the cuff. He's getting this from the Old Testament, right? Mm-hmm. The, the Bible at that point. <laughs> this is what they had to work with. We've already seen that the Jews in Jerusalem are guilty, although he says they acted in ignorance. The Gentiles are shown to be culpable. They were lawless men in the previous chapter. And then there's a reference to Pilate. Peter ultimately points to the eternal plan of God revealed in the prophets. And he says all the prophets. What Jews and Gentiles alike did was sinful, and it was exactly what God had determined to do from the beginning. Yes. Yes. Where did the prophets predict the suffering of Christ? And we've talked about already Isaiah 52:53 that that era uh, of being the suffering servant. W- what else? What else can you think of? All of the prophets, all of them, speak of this Messiah that would come and would redeem his people. Well, I don't want to go through all of them because we, I have a mandate. Um, but just for example, Zechariah 12:10, the early Christians used this again and again, these, these passages. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me on whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. That's one very simple, very straightforward, him whom they have pierced. Uh, take takes some time to read through Psalm 22, Psalm 31, 34, 69. All of those, the early Christians pulled from, the, the New Testament pulls from quite extensively. Psalm 110, oh my goodness. Probably the most quoted psalm in all the New Testament. Again and again and again, the early Christians recognized that these were ultimately fulfilled in the death of Christ. And this is some of what Peter's drawing from. And he goes once he gently establishes their guilt he then calls on them to repent and notice the heart behind the appeal what language does he use for the action they must take what is he saying there's the R word starts with R ends with the E-pent repent what else does he say what does he say
1: Mine says to be converted
0: Be converted. <laughs> when you talk about translations, go ahead, what else? Turn again.
1: Turn, again.
0: turn again, turn back, return to. What is he saying? This is the fulfillment of the covenant. Christ is the fulfillment of the covenant. Christ is the fulfillment of, the the fulfillment of what, you're, what you' what you, have identified with all these years, come back to Him, and this is the way you do it. Turn back. Be converted. Accepting God's Messiah would return them back to God. And what's the result of this repentance? What does he say? Points to three things. Your sins will be blotted out. out. What does that sound like?
1: Forgiveness.
0: Yes. Where is he pulling that language from?
1: Jesus.
0: <laughs> Keep going? No, I'm kidding. All right, Psalm 51. Psalm 51.1 says this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Who wrote Psalm 51? David. David wrote it.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes, but through... Why, what, was, what was around Psalm 51? What was going on? He killed, he killed David. David's a murderer. Right? He's a murderer. He kills the husband of a woman he wants to sleep with. And already had slept with. And got her pregnant. And he's a murderer. And what does he say? Have mercy on me. That was intentional. Was that done in Ignorance. Pretty intentional. And yet, he points to this language from David, blot out my transgressions. Mm-hmm. Repent that your sins may be blotted out. What else does he say? What else happens from repenting? What's the second thing?
1: Times of refreshing,
0: Times of refreshing may come from where? From the, the presence of the Lord. Now, When we think of Old Testament presence of the Lord. What are we thinking? Ark. The ark? The tabernacle? The temple? Bing. The presence of the Lord. Uh, here he's arguing is found in Christ. It's an inference he makes that will be developed throughout the New Testament. The presence of the Lord is found in Christ. What is this refreshing? The basic meaning of that word in the original language is, is like a cool breeze that comes on a hot day. Like walking in this morning. That's refreshing. Thank you, God. It's a rare biblical word that is interesting. and I found this really weird. It, it, it appears here. And in the Greek Old Testament, it appears in Exodus 8. When Moses describes God removing the plague of frogs, I, I, think, I think we can stop at God removing the curse there, because after that, <laughs> the frogs, they stinketh. And so I don't know that that's really the full import of what Peter's bringing in, but he's talking about removing the curse, removing the, the consequences of, of rebellion there. And so he uses that word, refreshing. Um, He's using it like uh, likely he's using it like he uses restoration in verse 21. It's the same kind of idea. Nevertheless, the phrase itself is loaded with messianic tones and end of age expectations in the culture at the time. So times of refreshing had the idea of God's restoration of Israel and and all of that. So, So is the third result, by the way. Also in time messianic kind of stuff that he may send the Christ and there was a common Jewish thought at the time that the Messiah would come only after the nation repented does Peter address this idea that, that the Messiah only comes after the nation repented because if that's true then Jesus came a little too soon does Peter address that yeah. yes how
1: this is- uh, may send Christ appointed for you, Jesus, and then he goes on to say, "From heaven must receive for a time until he comes and restores
0: all the things." Right, it's on God's timetable. Right, the third result that he may send the Christ. There was a um, God is appointed a time to restore everything. Whether it will be a time of refreshing for them when he comes back is really dependent upon their repentance. He ships it. The refreshing's coming. It's already there. But whether it's refreshing to you or not depends on do you repent? Are you returning to God? You see the appeal there. All right. If you're appealing to Jews to repent, you really have no stronger street cred than bringing in Moses. And that's what he does. Peter quotes from Deuteronomy 1815 uh, and 19, and, and then he supplements it with Leviticus 23:29. Let me just read this to you. Deuteronomy 18:15 says Moses, in his second delivery of the law, says, "The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. it is to him you shall listen." And then in 19 he says, Whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself were required of him. Uh, and then he supplements it, Peter does, with Leviticus 23, 29, which is, for whoever is not afflicted on that very day shall be cut off from his people. And he's referring to there the Day of Atonement. If, if a Jew is not participating in the Day of Atonement, he's going to be cut off from his people. So Peter is using, he's kind of uh, merging those, those ideas and, and verses together. So, what's going on there with Moses is that he's, he's, at the time, what it meant to the people then, he's introducing the office of the prophet, which will come about, as we have seen on Wednesday nights, with Samuel. Samuel is the first of the Old Testament prophets, uh, after Moses. But the ultimate fulfillment of that, Peter is arguing, is in the life, death, resurrection of Christ. Um, when, when Moses says, God will raise up, he's probably meaning God will bring forth. When Peter says, God will raise up, he's pointing to the resurrection. Right? He's using that language to show God has raised up a prophet after Moses in the resurrection. And if you don't heed him, you're not participating in the Day of Atonement's fulfillment in Christ. You see the, the massive import of the language he's using there. Uh, just curious, how did Samuel proclaim Christ? Yes, I know it's 10. How did Samuel
1: <laughs>
0: proclaim Christ? Any ideas?
1: Well, he was a, he was a type of Christ in many small ways okay. yeah, the birth situation right. uh, with his mother being barren. Mm-hmm. Um but also when he takes over that position mm-hmm. his his mother being faithful takes him to the priest, when he takes over he's restoring how that priesthood is functioning. Right. Rightly doing the duties of the high priest mm. since Eli and his sons were worthless. Totally worthless. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Very good. Uh, what, what else did Samuel have involvement in?
1: The anointing,
0: of the, king. The, the anointing, the ordaining of the king. Which one? Both of them, Both of them right? <laughs> Saul and ultimately David, when God took the kingdom away from Saul and gave it to David. Uh, and Samuel told Saul that was going to happen and he anointed David. And so what? Who's David? Type and shadow. There you go. Let's go there. He was
1: also a child
0: at the time. Yeah. Well, younger man, yeah. Um, Do you remember that God also, let me just get by that. Do you remember that, that God also covenanted with David that he will not lack a man on the throne? That his kingdom is established forever? Right. How can that be fulfilled? <laughs> How can that be fulfilled? That mean, we, they're still wailing at a wall. There's no king on the throne. How can that be fulfilled? Different kingdom, Different kingdom eternal king. Right? And so he's pulling in Samuel to, again, bring in the ideas of David uh, there. Uh, and then... If, if Moses has street cred and Samuel carries weight, pre, Peter brings out the big guns here. Abraham and his covenant with God. What is he saying here? Why would he bring up the Abrahamic covenant here? Why would he do that?
1: He's tying Jesus' pre Jesus is, pre-mill. Jesus is um, killing me. Death, burial, and resurrection
0: as... The very least, the it's a blessing
1: post. of that. He's, you know, if you're Abraham seed, you're, you're, in Christ, as Paul says later. But okay, Christ is the fulfillment of being blessed by the Abrahamic.
0: Is offspring singular or plural? Singular. It's singular, and that's a point Paul makes mm-hmm. in Galatians three, right? He doesn't say offsprings. He says offspring, who is Christ? Paul says. Peter's making the same argument here. He's pulling in the idea that the Abrahamic covenant is fulfilled in Christ. And then he says at the end, verse 26, God having raised up his servant, there's that servant language again, sent him to you first. What's the implication there? Why first? Because Physically, biologically, they were members of the covenant, right? What's the implication? First. That
1: there's a second.
0: There's a second. But
1: also, God acted first on
0: on that. Okay, yes. Yeah, God acted first. Yes. There's a second. And there's a third. And there's a fourth. It's going to keep going. What is it going to go to? From Jerusalem to Judea, Judea. to Samaria, uttermost. to Spain. Right? <laughs> to, to the uttermost parts of the earth.
1: The
0: That's the message version, yes. <laughs> it's better It's better than... it's. it's well, anyway. Alright. Um, Alright. So, next it's going to the Samaritans and then the Gentiles. It doesn't seem really that Peter gets the import of that just yet because remember, it's not until chapter 10 that God really has to thump him to get him to go witness to Cornelius. But... He's here with a heart for his countrymen. Now, you see that. All right. So for now, we see that in chapter four, uh, that an additional two thousand men believe or that brought the number up to five thousand men. But it's different than the sermon on Pentecost. They're they're all doing this stuff in the temple complex, and in chapter four, uh, the language is used that the leadership is greatly annoyed at this. This isn't Pentecost where they everybody gets excited and they all go and start doing their home church stuff. There's consequences to this one. Greatly annoyed. The leaders don't like it, and we'll see the implications of that next week. (coughs) Takeaways. Real quickly. The focus is on Jesus and not just their sin. They go directly to Christ, who he is and what he's done. There is truth about their ignorance and guilt for the death of Christ, but it seems that the guilt for them is greater for their denial of Christ than for His death. Peter's language is a heartfelt appeal for them to receive Christ. Um, That's the heart of Christ for the people. And as much as we try to fight against the watering down of the sovereignty of God through the misuse of John 3.16, we need to be very conscious of the fact that God loved the world. Yes? Yes. Yes. God loved the world. And we can talk about in this way, God so loved the world. we can talk about how that works and what the rest of Scripture tells us about that. But his heart is a love for people. And we should be reflecting that. The the times of refreshing language that Peter uses here um, are tasted now. We have tastes of that now, the fullness coming when Christ returns, but there is a taste of that now. And it's through the selflessness of the people of God. Paul talks about this in Romans 15. So that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Uh, 2 Corinthians 7. Therefore we are comforted, and besides our own comfort we rejoiced still more at the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. 2 Timothy 1.16. May that the Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me. And was not ashamed of my chains. Philemon, verse 7. For I've derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you. We need to be very careful, as predominantly sovereign grace folks, to be gracious. We need to be operating out of a heart of love for people, not just thumping that we're right. For motive is not we love because he first loved us. Something's wrong. You can't divorce truth and love. You can't do it. You get it wrong. Peter didn't withhold the truth to moll- mollify feelings. We don't see that. I He said, you're guilty. But what he said, he said in love so that they could receive refreshing through Jesus. And we need to have that heart. That's the takeaway here. Preach the gospel, be bold, do it in love, and be gentle. (laughs) Be gentle. Any other statements? Any other comments? You have two
1: seconds. (laughs) At the uh, Boys' On Saturday, we played small time, just being gracious is tough. Mm. We played dodgeball, they make it so personal. They, it becomes the most personal battle for pride and ultimate victory. And they they end up hating each other at the end of those games. Yeah. If, if we don't kind of...
0: You talk about the Sylvania guys know. that are there or yeah. the boys? I have my Scott beat, but Lohr. Scott. So. <laughs> Scott is pretty competitive. Yeah.
1: Anyway, two minutes after I leave, I'm, I'm in traffic and I'm, and I'm not being grateful. Yeah. And it's so easy to see it when, when you're above the playing field, right. so to speak. You can see, oh, they're not really being, they're not, you're not being good sportsmen, they're not right. playing like Christians at all. Yeah. And then when you're in it, when you're... <laughs> yeah,
0: how dare you cut in front of me? Don't you know who I am? <laughs> Why aren't you considering me? Right, right. Yeah, it's very
1: It struck me and I, was, I yeah. was convicted immediately because I said, I was just, I was yeah. just, it was just so easy to see and now it's so yeah. quickly, I'm the one. Right. It's easy to get into a position, especially... I work at Walmart at the service desk and I find, I'm so sorry I find the biggest thing that I struggle with yeah
0: you have you have a dis- special is, dispensation for that yeah. <laughs> there's
1: so much waywardness of, of just attitude towards, yeah. like one another right and I'm trying to stay positive and keep that you know yeah. keep showing you know God and not get into you
0: that. owe me my refund I don't care if it looks like I stepped well, no, on it three times the and, and and the, the and the people I work the rece- with oh well that's a whole nother issue <laughs> a whole other issue. I, I, I was uh, refreshed by a, a customer service guy at Lowe's yesterday who refunded something I didn't have a receipt for. I said, hey, you're the only place that sells it. What do you think? Huh?
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll do it. So, you know, God's been showing me that no matter how other people should be, I shouldn't play into that, that I yeah. should always reflect Him yeah. and not, you know, to show them that there is a different way to be. You don't have to sure. be how everyone else is. Sure,
0: we act based on who we are in Christ, not on... Based on what other people may be doing to us, good, good. All right, let's let's pray because there's a. a, a All right. What is it? You can have something else.
1: No, you just said let's
0: pray. like. Yeah. Let's I, I know. I, I'm well. I'm feeling guilty because I'm I'm violating the mandate. i I'm. I'm a, no, that's not what I'm saying.
1: <laughs>
0: I'm saying I'm a lawbreaker and I'm and I need to repent. All right, here we go. Uh, Father, thank you so much for your grace to us and that many times whenever we feel the righteous indignation that we are correct about an argument or or that someone else is wrong and we feel the need to pound on them you don't do that to us you're truthful with us you identify our sin you call us to repent but it's your kindness that brings us to repentance not the correctness of your argument it's your kindness And though your arguments are correct and though they do pierce us, you are so gracious to us to grant us hope in Christ. Would you transform our hearts from those of little judges to to be those who are ministers of mercy and reconciliation? Be reconciled to God through Christ because of your sin. It's so easy to be caught up in chest pounding. But God, would you give us a heart that's broken for our countrymen? That we would share the gospel out of love, reflecting that we love because you first loved us. We pray for all these things in Christ's name. Amen. 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 It is Gus. You should know that. I want to get a banner for his room.